thank you for having me. It's, I'm really excited about being here. <clears throat> so um, this is part of the general apologetics series, um, and I, I don't think I need to explain to the dialogue community what apologetics is. Um, but since we're talking about apologetics for parents, it's, I specifically should say that it's not about apologizing for your children's behavior, although there's a lot of that going on as well. Um, so I, um, just a quick introduction of myself. Um, I am a mother of two beautiful children. They are five and eight years old, um, and that's a privilege. I'm also the lucky wife um, of a wonderful husband who... Um, Whoopsie, I'm a little behind there. Who spoke here last week, Andrei van Seil, that's my husband. Um, I'm qualified as an audiologist, and I currently work um, as a processing editor for an um, international research journal, but I'm very lucky to be able to do that from home. So I'm, I get to spend a lot of time with my kids. And then since it's Mother's Day, I also want to identify myself as the daughter of a praying mom. And lastly, but most importantly, I want to say that I am standing here as a learner and not as a teacher. Um, I have recently discovered a few very helpful books and resources, and I'm here to share some of that with you. But I'm not standing here as someone who has arrived or who knows it all. I don't have all the answers. I get some of these things right with my kids sometimes, and I get a lot of things wrong as well. And um, I don't know if you've seen this going around on the internet, but um, yeah, children can embarrass us. <laughs> so my children sometimes do and say things that make me very proud and grateful, and then other times they do and say things that keep me very humble. So just, just to say that I'm not standing here as someone who has arrived. Um, so what, what we're doing today with this talk is I am talking to parents, and I know there are a few parents listening online, um, but I, there's an African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. So if you are not a parent or you're not a parent yet, there might be children in your life that you are involved with. Maybe you're involved with children's ministry or teaching, or you have family members who are children. Um, but I think... <laughs> We do not do this in a South African culture as much as we should, but we should, we should be taking responsibility for children, not just our own. Um, and tonight is a brief introduction to topics and books and people um, that, that I found helpful. Um, but uh, we need a week-long conference to thoroughly discuss each of these topics, and I'm not going to keep you here, here all week. So I'm just scratching the surface. So I think many times through this talk you're going to feel like I'm going too fast and I'm, I'm, I'm saying something and you want to feel like, wait, that's a whole discussion on its own, I know. Um, but I just want to introduce a few things and open up discussion and hopefully this is a start of something for some of us. Um, I will be heavily leaning on this book. If you hear me say Mama Bear Apologetics for the 20th time during the talk, I apologize. I got most of my material from this book. It's called Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. Even if you are not a mother, even if you're not even a parent, I would encourage you to read this book. Nina, my niece, is nowhere near a parent, and she's read it. <laughs> and I think she'll agree that it's, it's very insightful to identify the cultural lies of our time. Um, 
And then I shamelessly borrowed the title of my talk from Natasha Crane's book, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side. So I can definitely endorse her materials. By the way, I don't have shares in any of the publishers of these books, so I'm not getting, um, I'm not getting kickbacks. I just really like these books. Um, so we'll talk about um, why um, parents need apologetics and why it needs to be applied to children. Talk a little bit about how and also when. So why is all of this important? Um, Jesus said that we should let the children come to him and we shouldn't hinder them or stop them or forbid them. And I think we should therefore be doing whatever we can to make it as easy as possible for children to get to Jesus. And if you are an adult and you grew up in South Africa, chances are you grew up in a very Christian environment in school and in your community, in your town, wherever. Most people were Christians or said they were Christians. Um, and anything Christian that you said was, you know, met with nods and, and affirmation. Um, but that is changing. It's changing in South Africa. I think it has changed a lot faster in some of the countries that a lot of South Africans are immigrating to. A lot of places like Australia and Canada are, are fairly anti-Christian. Um, and what's happening is we are being constantly bombarded with a worldview that is um, not compatible with a Christian worldview and is becoming increasingly hostile towards Christians and Christian thought and a Christian worldview. And the effect of that is that young people, teenagers, young adults are walking away from the church and walking away from their faith, walking away from Jesus. And why is this happening? Um, I believe we are living in a war time. And I'm not talking about the Ukraine. I'm talking about a war of ideas. So um, I want to discuss that by talking about who is the enemy I'm referring to. Um, what, are some of the examples, what are some examples of weapons that are being used? And what are some of the tactics in this war? So first of all, who is the real enemy? So there's a mama bear motto that says, if you mess with my children, I will demolish your arguments. I love that. So that's what we're doing is um, we should start seeing people with opposing viewpoints, not as our enemy, but as captives of deceptive philosophy, Colossians 2 verse 8. Um, and so it's said in the Vietnam War that the Viet Cong would sometimes strap bombs or plant grenades on civilians, especially little children, and then send them wandering into the territory of the American soldiers, leaving those Americans with a very terrible predicament. Um, and Satan is the father of lies and he tends to pick out broken, vulnerable people who are unloved and rejected by society, by the church, and he convinces them of deceptive philosophies, of wrong thinking, and, and, and then it leaves us as a church with a predicament. We can't let the false ideologies into our fellowship but we also can't turn our backs on the broken people who have been deceived by these ideas. 
So what do we do? We demolish the arguments without destroying the people who have been deceived by them. So that's no easy task, but, um, but that is what we're dealing with here. That is our enemy. Um, and I want us to keep that perspective. So um, I'm just going to give some examples of what I think are the weapons that are being used. And the first one is a secular worldview. So um, Natasha Crane defines a secular... She's, she wrote a, a book recently called Faithfully Different, um, which I think is a valuable resource about how we can be salt and light in this time that we're living in, in a secular worldview. And she defines it as um, something that's based on these assumptions. Feelings are the ultimate guide. In other words, follow your heart. It never lies. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Happiness is the ultimate goal. Okay? And I want to add to that, pain and suffering should be avoided at all costs. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Judging is the ultimate sin these days. You're wrong to tell me I'm wrong. Okay, that's the assumption. Um, Self-refuting, as you can hear. And then um, God is the ultimate guess. Um, it's very popular to say we can't know anything for sure about God. We can't know for certain who he is exactly. Or yeah, we can't know anything for sure about him. And, I, and I, this is not a Christian worldview. And yet we are hearing and seeing these things over and over again. And the kids are hearing and seeing this over and over again. It's everywhere in the media and social media. We are really being bombarded with this. Um, the next one is um, a series of statements or, or ideas that I, that I want, um, that's called cultural lies. So the, the Mama Bear book discusses this. Um, in a very accessible way, most of these, and a few others which I'm not even going to mention tonight. Um, the, f the first one is relativism. So a, a lot of you probably know what that means, but it says that there's no objective truth. It's all a matter of opinion. There's your truth and there's my truth, and it's all viewpoints. Um, and then along with that goes moral relativism. Again, the you're wrong to tell me I'm wrong thing. There is no such thing as an absolute moral law or an absolute right and wrong. We all make it up as we go along. And um, also part of that is religious pluralism or the belief that all religions are equally valid, they're all equally true, and we must totally respect the fact that everyone is right. Um, <clears throat> uh, the second group of cultural lies um, that this is not mentioned in this Mama Bear book, but it's talked about at length in the second book, which is the Mama Bear. If you, if you like scary books, <laughs> I can recommend this one. It's pretty scary to hear what's going on out there, but what is being taught. But something that I found in that book to be useful is that we are being lied to about identity. What determines your identity? Who you are? Uh, what determines your worth as a person? What determines your gender identity? Um, and from a Christian worldview, the answer to those questions is God. But from a secular worldview, you're on very shaky ground, and the answer to those questions changes from minute to minute, and it depends on how you feel right now, which is shaky. Um, this one was quite an eye-opener for me. Um, 
when I read it, I'm like, wow, yes, we hear this all the time. If you watched any Disney movies lately or Barbie movies, <laughs> which you will only have done if you've got little, little girls at home, I hope. Know. Maybe some of you are into Barbie movies, <laughs> but there's a lot of there's a lot of believe in yourself. You can be anything. Um, the answer is inside of you. Just be positive, and then you can literally achieve anything. Which is that really doesn't correspond to reality at all. But it's also contrary to the gospel. The gospel says we are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. Apart from ourselves, that Savior is Jesus, and we can be saved, but we cannot save ourselves. Um, the next one is emotionalism. Follow your heart, it never lies. Um, again, there's, there's a lot of value to that, and you're not allowed to suppress or argue with any emotions. Emotions are real, and that's true, but the Mama Bear book likes to say that emotions are like toddlers. They can be a lot of fun, but you would never put one in charge. And I thoroughly agree with that as the mother of a toddler. Um, then um, spiritualism or New Age spiritualism um, or Oprah Winfrey religion make it up as you go along and you just combine whatever you like of the different religions. Um, that's also um, very popular. And I just want to end that by saying that the most potent lies are wrapped in partial truths. Most of these ideas have some kernel of truth in them, and that's sometimes what makes them attractive, and it's sometimes what makes you buy into them, but they're still lies. Um, now I want to talk about some tactics. So how, um, how are these weapons used? So the, the first tactic I want to um, talk about is linguistic theft. So... Um, we all know that language evolves over time. Words tend to change their meaning a bit, like the word cool, or apparently the word nice 500 years ago meant something like ignorant, and it was a very negative word to say somebody is nice. And that's obviously changed its meaning, um, but that's not what linguistic theft is. Linguistic theft is when a word is purposefully hijacked, its meaning is changed, and it's used as a tool of propaganda. And if you do this, you can very subtly redefine good and evil. My favorite English professor of the C.S. Lewis is Holly Ordway. She says that once language becomes routinely distorted, it becomes increasingly easy to justify and promote evil, while at the same time hiding behind positive words. And so just one example of that, uh, the word tolerance. I think we all know that word has changed meaning quite a bit. Um, it used to mean that if you disagree with someone, you still live peaceably with them. You don't smack them over the head. You disagree with them, but there's still peace and civility at least. Uh, now, if you're not allowed to disagree with someone. If you disagree, you are intolerant. So now it means that all beliefs must be treated as equally legitimate. Um, so here are some other words that have been redefined in this way. Love, marriage, justice, oppression, patriarchy. That used to be a positive word. Now it's being used as a very negative word. Inclusion and bullying. Bullying has been redefined. If you use the wrong pronoun now, you are a bully. 
Um, and what's happening is Christian children are trying to be good. They're trying to be loving, just, inclusive, not a bully, but now they're being misled as to what it practically means to do those things and to be those things. And that's what's so dangerous about this tactic. Um, the second tactic is repetition. So um, this um, retired professor from Princeton, he's a professor in psychology, he says that our brains have difficulty distinguishing between what is familiar and what is true. In other words, if you hear something enough times, on some level, you really start believing that it's true. And I think if you think back to that secular worldview that I presented in the beginning, you kind of realize that, sure, you know, you kind of buy into these things because you keep hearing it all the time. And, uh, and children, the children of today, are being bombarded with this from a young age, and they're hearing it even more than we are, um, which makes it even more dangerous to them. Um, another enemy tactic, I think, is private screens. So um, a lot of us growing up, there would be a television in the living room. That's where you watched television. You would sit down and everybody knew what you were watching and everybody would watch something together or at least would be walking past and they could see and hear what you were seeing and hearing. But with all our handheld devices and phones and tablets and everything, um, people and children are consuming content privately. We don't know what they're watching because we can't see it and we can't even listen to what they're watching. I have listened to all the Peppa Pig episodes that have ever been <laughs> created because my children watch it and I wasn't sitting watching with them, but I know all the dialogue because I was hearing it. But if you put on headphones, nobody knows what you're watching. So except for the scary fact that especially older children could be exposed to very harmful content in this way. Um, it also means that children could be listening or watching something that's promoting a worldview that's decidedly unchristian and you are not even aware of it. Um, so parents do a lot of crazy things to physically protect their children, but what, what are we doing to protect hearts and minds? Um, so, um, we try to follow uh, an approach to parenting that we call the funnel approach, which we learned from some of our friends we think are very good parents. Um, and it's this principle that um, as children grow physically and mentally, um, we give them more and more freedom and we give them more and more responsibility. First it's a bottle, then it's a sippy cup, then it's an open cup, um, and there's errors and spills and things that go along with that, but gradually we give them more and more freedom, but we try to make sure that they have the skills to cope with that before we allow it. And the same should be true with their spiritual growth. So um, when they are little, we, we protect them from a lot of content and topics, and we monitor what they're watching and listening to, but as they grow, there's more and more freedom and exposure in other places. They go to school, they get exposed to, you don't know exactly what all the time. So then we have to equip them um, with what they need. And since we're talking about a war, um, I, I want to say we have to equip them with the weapons they need to defend themselves in this war of ideas. So um, if you're not a parent, um, I still think that some of these 
are useful. And maybe you should be equipping yourself with some of these weapons. Um, the first one I want to introduce you to is um, truth. So for the first time, I think, in history, we are living in an era where people are not searching for truth. They're not interested in truth, and the very idea of truth um, is being attacked and ridiculed. There, there isn't such a thing as objective truth. I, I briefly mentioned this when you talked about relativism. And as Christians, um, truth is very important to us. Jesus Christ called himself the way, the truth, and the life. The Apostle John wrote to the church, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. Um, if we don't have truth, we don't have the truth of the gospel, we have nothing. We are on absolutely shaky ground. Um, and in the, in the research that's done about what's called the youth exodus in America, the, the young people leaving the church in droves, they found that a lot of young people who've left the church, know, they know all the Bible stories, they just don't believe that any of it's true. They all colored in the picture of Noah and the animals on the ark. That makes such a nice craft for children's church, doesn't it? But they were never taught that it's actually true. And they were not told what truth is. So um, we should be teaching children stories of the Bible, but we should also be explicitly teaching them that it's true and what truth is. So I subscribe to a correspondence view of truth. Truth is what's correspondence. I dare say you could do a thief. Um, and I found there's an there's a organization called Foundation Worldview that present webinars that are very interesting. And they also have curricula for, for children. And they even have a, a little curriculum for four to seven-year-olds to teach them what is truth. And it's, it's really cute. I've watched some of these with, with my children, and it's teaching them that truth is what is real, and that there's a difference between objective truth and subjective feelings. And even at such a young age, they can, they can understand that. And I had an interesting discussion with my older child um, who then said, um, so uh, one of the examples was the sun shines during the day and not during the night. Is that truth? Does it, is that is what is real? And my son immediately said yes, and my eight-year-old said, the sun still shining when it's nighttime. We just don't see, you know, the sun is always shining. <laughs> Again, that's a very good point. And then we discussed that afterwards to say, um, she could have, the lady could have said, when it's daytime here, we can see the sun shining. We talk about the time when we see the sun shining as day. Um, but I, I then talked to her about how truth is sometimes complicated. You have to have a longer list to specify exactly what it means, but that doesn't mean that there isn't such a thing as truth. You can still teach them truth is what is real. So um, the next one is discernment, and again, Parents or not, we can all benefit from, from growing in um, practicing discernment. The Mama Wear book has a lot of information about that that I find very useful. Um, what it comes down to is when we eat, we don't swallow everything we put in our mouths. 
Sometimes you're eating fish and there's a sharp fish bone and hopefully you don't swallow it. Or you bite into a lovely strawberry and discover it has a worm in it. And I really hope you don't swallow the rest of that strawberry. And hopefully you get rid of it discreetly as well. But the point is we don't swallow everything we put into our mouths. And in the same way, we should be we should realize that we are bombarded with content everywhere and everything has a message. We should be aware of the fact that we are receiving messages all the time and we should chew and spit or swallow. Um, but the chewing process, thinking about things critically and evaluating them. So the steps in discernment um, are to firstly accurately identify what the message is. And sometimes you may need to ask some questions to clarify, um, to correctly identify and affirm what is good in this message, be it a movie, a song, or a show that you're watching, and to correctly identify and reject the bad. Um, And then we should apply this to all the messages that we are bombarded with and um, as a parent, it means you know watching movies with your children, reading a book with them, and stopping and saying, "Hey, what's this guy saying? What do you think about this? Um, do you think this is right? Does this make sense? Is this true? Um, is this different to what we believe?" Um, and again, just referring there to the Mama Bear book. One other thing about discernment is um, sometimes growing up, people learn that this group or person or book or duemony, or whoever, is always right about everything. If he says it, you can believe it. And this book or group or religion, they're always wrong about everything. You mustn't believe a word they're saying. That's very dangerous to teach to a child. Because besides the Bible, everybody makes mistakes somewhere in some things that they say. And even Richard Dawkins might be able to say something that's actually true at some point. So... um, (laughs) If you just, if you group people like this, they are bound to discover some goodness in the bad and some badness in the good and become disillusioned and they lose the trust in what you taught them. Uh, Someone told me the other day, her mother, and she said she was very narrow-minded, my mother, and she told me that you must never take out soft cover books in the library. It's all rubbish. Only hardcover books. She wasn't allowed to bring home any softcover books from the library. Yeah, and it's the, it's the same if we're grouping people or, or content like that. We have to teach them to discern um, with a lot more discretion. Um, the third weapon is worldview. So whether we are aware of this or not, everybody has a worldview. We all have a pair of glasses that we use to look at the world with. Um, For a lot of people, this is not at a conscious level. People don't even know that they have a worldview. But everybody has beliefs about why are we here? How did we get here? (laughs) What gives us value? What is our purpose? What is wrong with the world? And what is the solution to what is wrong with the world? Those, those things, there's a lot more, but those things are basically some of the elements of a worldview. And we should be teaching this to children, and we should also become aware of it ourselves. Um, a lot of people don't have a consistent worldview. They have a worldview that's little bits and pieces, pieces that they've taken from different things, and it's, it's incoherent. Um, 
a lot of people have a worldview that just does not correspond to reality. You can't have a worldview that doesn't correspond to reality. It's unhelpful. If I believe there's a cookie monster in the cupboard that's going to hand me a cookie every time I open it, that's my belief, that's my worldview, I'm going to be disappointed a lot. Um, so this is something we should teach our children and make them aware of. Um, and we should teach them a Christian worldview, but we should also teach them about opposing worldviews. Um, and um, about this topic, I can again recommend Natasha Crane and also the Foundation Worldview materials. They have whole curricula about um, comparing different worldviews to each other. Um, the next one is critical thinking. Um, and I think this applies to all of us. We need to grow in our critical thinking and we need to model this also to our children. Uh, the Mama Bear book says, ideas are like seeds. We have to prepare our children's hearts and minds so that when bad ideas are planted there, they won't grow. Um, and one way of doing this is to learn to ask questions. Um, if you haven't read Greg Kukul's book, Tactics, um, that's also one I can definitely recommend for everybody. It's, it's especially about having difficult conversations with people of opposing viewpoints, how to navigate those conversations in a very, very clever way without being manipulative. And the first question is, what do you mean by that? That's very useful. And sometimes the whole thing falls apart right there. <laughs> um, and then the next question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, and again, then it's well. I don't know. I watched a movie about it once. It's not a very way to, very good way to get to a conclusion. So these are useful questions to learn ourselves, but also to teach to kids. And then um, identifying logical fallacies. We can all learn about this, and it's very good to equip yourself to be able to identify fallacies in your own thinking and also in other people's arguments. The Fallacy Detective was actually written for children 12 years and older, but um, I started reading this with a group of other mothers, and we had a Zoom meeting once a month to talk about it, and we found it very useful and a big eye-opener. And the more I learn about this, the more I can point it out to my kids. And you don't have to look very far. You just drive down the road. And the first billboard you see is bound to have some kind of fallacy on it. Um, so that's something we can all grow in. Um, the next one is specifically with parents, open discussion. So there's two parts to this. The one part is that there are certain topics where it would really be ideal if you as a parent is the first one to raise this topic with your children. This is specifically um, about sexuality, about gender and gender identity. I think it would be great if you are the one to open the book on the topic. Um, apparently, psychologically, if somebody is the first one to teach you about something, your mind makes this kind of note to say, that person is the expert on that topic. And you tend to go back to that person if you have a question about it. So that's why it's important to raise this with your kids. And it might mean that you have to start a lot earlier than you would have liked to because children are exposed to so much more the internet. Um, 
and then even if you're not the first one to start a topic, and not just on sexuality, but on other things as well, like different worldviews, um, you should present yourself to, to children as someone who is open to discussion. Um, they can ask questions and they can ask difficult questions. And to show yourself as someone with knowledge about topics, and even if you don't have all the answers, to show yourself as someone who is eager to find answers. Ask me a difficult question. Oh, that's a great question. Let's find the answer together. Um, I think um, Nina is our niece. And my husband, uh, she's the daughter of my husband's sister. And even before he had his own children, he was investing a lot into the lives of his sister's children. And even today, we are so privileged to say that as adults, they still come and visit us and talk to us about questions. And they've got great parents, but we have become extra voices in their lives that are giving them input. So even if you're not doing this with your own or you don't have your own children, be that person that they can come to and ask and have these difficult discussions with. Um, and to also encourage discussion of opposing viewpoints and different lifestyles. Not just say, oh, where did you hear that? <laughs> but rather breathe a few times and then very confident, oh, that's interesting. Where did you, where did you hear that? <laughs> and then <laughs> go on from there. Um, and then again, you're to tell them about other worldviews, other religions, and have discussion about that. So to the mommies out there, um, I can only speak as, from experience as a mother because I've never been a father. But I, I can tell you're probably thinking, lady, have you seen my laundry load or the dishes in my sink or I'm up to my eyeballs in nappies or I'm so sleep deprived I can hardly function? And when am I supposed to be doing all of this? Um, and I want to say that I think this scripture in Deuteronomy is a part of the answer that um, it says to it's a, the Israelites supposing to, um, to teach their children about the law. It, it tells them to talk about it um, when you're at home, when you're sitting down, when you're walking along the road. And I think it's saying to us that life is filled with teachable moments and that we should be teaching this whenever, in, as part of our routines and to fit it into the rhythms of our families. <clears throat> so um, some practical ideas that I found helpful. Um, I'm not very good at reading. I can maybe read a story, but other books, I tend to fall asleep. So um, what, what has helped me, um, two things is, one is a micro habit. Instead of telling myself I'm going to read one of Dostoevsky's books in the next week or so. Um, <clears throat> I'd rather just tell myself, I'm going to read one page every day. Or I'm going to read for five minutes. I'm going to just put Facebook away for five minutes and just read for five minutes first. Um, that helped me. And then, who's in a hurry? I mean, it took me, I think it took me 18 months to read this little book. Um, but I got through it, and it, it got me going. And then... Um, the other thing was I, I started a book club. So a friend of mine expressed some interest in apologetics and we said we want to do something. And I'd read about this book in that book. And then he said, why don't we read this book together? And we took our, we took our jolly time. We would read a section of the book over a month and we'd have one, month, you know, one monthly meeting. 
nine o'clock at night when all the kids are asleep and we are nearly asleep, but we, you know, we come in our bathrobes and then, <laughs> and then over Zoom we have a discussion and it helped me to, you know, oh, Tuesday is, Tuesday is the Zoom meeting, so I've got to finish this chapter. That helped me. So I can really recommend doing that. Um, podcasts, I listen to podcasts when I'm walking or exercising or doing the dishes or the laundry. Um, moms can multitask, so try that. Uh, or webinars, thanks to the pandemic, webinars have become a lot more prevalent and a lot more accessible. The Foundation Worldview have webinars every, well, sometimes every week or every two weeks. That's all free online. Um, they also have a book club where they recommend books for adults and books for children, um, and I can recommend that as well. And then equipping kids, I find that moms do a lot of driving between activities and school and extracurricular things. And sometimes we have, we have very meaningful conversations in the car, even if it's a short one. With little kids, conversations or meaningful conversations are not long. That doesn't make it not meaningful. Um, and then bedtime. For us, we, we, do, we spend a lot of time getting our kids to sleep every night, but we, we have a long bedtime routine, but we read the Bible and we pray, and then we read stories and we, have, we talk. And my daughter tends to say some very meaningful things just before she falls asleep, and then, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's a meaningful discussion. So that's sometimes very helpful. Um, yeah, so lastly, I just want to say that if you invest these things in a child's life, it's not a purchase, it's an investment. So uh, there's no guarantee, there's no guaranteed outcome. You don't buy them a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship. It has to happen, there has to be some choices involved, but you do invest things and you watch it grow um, and you pray for some outcomes. Um, then if you do this, you should expect resistance. Um, Natasha Crane, who is basically the guru on child apologetics, says none of her kids like apologetics. And she says, if you get a good eye roll, then you know you've repeated it enough times <laughs> that they're now familiar with it. And don't be put off by it. Um, the other thing is that I think as parents, we need to support each other more. Motherhood can be very lonely. And parenthood, it's a lonely journey and it's tough. And there's a lot of comparing and a lot of people putting up only the nice things on social media. And then we often feel like failures. Um, and we need to be honest and we need to support more and judge less and compare less. Um, and then there's some resources. I've compiled a list of some of the websites and books I talked about that Anna will distribute via the normal dialogue communication channels. I've also got a few hard copies of that available, uh, or you could contact me for that. Um, and then, um, as I finished all my preparation last night or so, I thought, I was scrolling through my social media, and I saw a, a disturbing video. Um, it's a TikTok video, um, and I, I couldn't find it again to, to show it to you, but it's, it's, a, it's a child walking along a, a street, a fairly busy street, is maybe 10 or not, not older than 12, um, and there are other people walking there. And a man comes from behind, runs up from behind, grabs this kid, he puts his hand over, over his mouth, and he grabs him. He's, he's not 
gently picking up. He's clearly grabbing him and runs with him into this dark side alley. And the other people walking along, they literally just keep walking. <laughs> Some of them, they're talking to each other, they pause for like a split second and then they just carry on talking or, you know, reading something on their phones. And, and like I said, this, you cannot mistake this for a parent picking up their child. This guy is so clearly snatching this child and people aren't even blinking. Now, I realize this video could be cherry-picked, so they could have filmed the same thing 20 times and picked the six times that people didn't respond, but there were at least six times when people didn't respond. So um, I don't want to talk about human trafficking tonight. That's all other topic. But spiritually, our children are being snatched. They're being snatched by the enemy with the ideas that we are being bombarded with. Are we taking notice of this? Do we realize they are being stolen away? And are we fighting back? Whether it's your child or someone else's child, are we fighting back? Are we fighting back against these ideas? And so I want to end with a scripture that speaks to this better than I can. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And it carries on with the rest of the armor. I found it striking that the first one mentioned is the belt of truth, which is also what we spoke about tonight. <clears throat> so let us pray. Father God, we praise you as the source of all goodness, truth, and wisdom. We ask your forgiveness for allowing ourselves to be deceived by the lies of the enemy. We pray for repentant hearts in those who have rejected your truth. Lord, we pray for moms. We, we know that motherhood is lonely sometimes. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you see us, that you know us, and that you do not leave us alone. We pray for children. We pray for the hearts of our children that you will protect them, that you will protect their hearts and guard their minds and keep them safe within your truth. Lord, help us to equip ourselves and our children with the weapons needed to fight this fight, to win this war, to bring all to submission under your perfect rule. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.